Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He replied to him, Friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? Then he said to the crowd, Take care to guard against all greed. For though one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. Then he told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, what shall I do? For I do not have space to store my harvest. And he said, this is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I shall store all my grain and other goods. And I shall say to myself, now as for you, you have so many good things stored up for many years. Rest, eat, drink. Be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your life will be demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, to whom will they belong? Thus will it be for all who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich in what matters to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Something I find really striking about the image that this parable gives us, and it's something that strikes me about some other parables in the gospel as well. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we, we take a really reductive view of what a Christian life looks like. Uh, and it's interesting to me uh, how much we can develop a way of thinking about the Christian life that is really actually kind of detached from the scriptures themselves. So I think often we think about the Christian life in terms of uh, either doing bad or doing good. Right? If we do good, we get rewarded. If we do bad, we get punished. But there are a number of times in the gospel where Jesus gives us images of our judgment, which are a little bit different than that. Right? Uh, Jesus, in this parable, he doesn't really, uh, really kind of like wag the finger at this rich man, right? this man who has a surplus of grain. And so he says, great, uh, I'm going to be able to be comfortable for many years. So eat, drink, and be merry. What he says is, you fool. Tonight your life will be demanded of you. And all of this that you've built up, to whom will it belong? And what Jesus is essentially saying is, you have invested so much in things that don't matter. You've invested yourself in something that uh, if your life is taken from you tomorrow, it matters not at all. And all that, all that wealth that you acquired, it's going to go to somebody else. You don't get to take it with you. And it actually kind of reminds me, or the, the, what, what it evokes in my heart anyway, it, it reminds me very much of another parable, uh, another image of judgment that Jesus gives us, which is the, the sifting of wheat, right? The separation of chaff from the wheat. And one of the reasons I love that image so much is that uh, what, it, what it does is it, it, it gives us a sense that some of us are more substantial than others, right? The, like when we, when we sift wheat, the chaff, which is kind of a useless, just the useless husk around the wheat, it just sort of drifts away because it's insubstantial. And then the wheat falls back into, the, and then we use the wheat to make bread and we're nourished by it. The wheat just gets simply tossed out or burned. And that this image tells us that uh, what the Lord wants from us is 
a substantial life. He wants us to matter and not simply to be chaff. And I think that really paints uh, maybe a different image of what virtue is versus vice, right? Or what goodness is versus sin. And maybe it's a little bit less of like God has made us made a list of rules. You're supposed to do this and not do that. I mean, there is there's a list of rules, but uh, it's it's not so much that because you did too many things on the bad list and not enough on the good list, uh, you're going away. Rather, uh, the Lord paints this image of uh, have we spent our life in a way that matters? Are we substantial, or are we like the the chaff that's simply going to be blown away by the wind? or burned up in the fire. Uh, there's a, you know, maybe you should, maybe you should read this book because I end up quoting it more often than I would think in my homilies. Uh, it's, a, it's a little book C.S. Lewis wrote. It's a novel, it's called The Weight of Glory. Nope, wrong, uh, it's called the, the Great Divorce. And uh, there's so many just power, it's not, it's not a terribly good story, I don't think, but there's so many powerful images of heaven and hell in it. Uh, and probably my favorite one is this busload of, of souls, essentially, are taken up into heaven. And when they get there, what they find out is that heaven is essentially too real for them, right? That they're almost invisible because uh, they're, they're still sort of unpurified sinful souls, and so they lack substantiality. Right, so they see people in heaven, right, citizens of heaven, and they are solid people, right? Light doesn't just pass through them. They're, they're substantial. But these, these souls that, that need to go undergo some purification, uh, you can see right through them, and they're not real enough to walk on the grass, right? The grass in heaven hurts their feet because the grass is too real and because they're not substantial enough. And if, anybody, if any of these souls are going to be able to stay in heaven, they have to undergo uh, purification, which makes them more real, more substantial. And I think that's a beautiful image of what God calls us to uh, in life. He's calling us to be substantial. He's calling us to become, uh, to live, to do what matters, what lasts, not simply what uh, is vanishing away. And that's why uh, it's a powerful reading that the church prepares this gospel today from Ecclesiastes. And it's that book that, it's almost a despairing kind of book, right? Everything is vanity. Everything is passing away, right? And how, how much of our lives do we spend not only doing things that don't matter, but worrying about things that don't matter? That convicts my conscience this week. I think about how much of my life have I spent in anxiety over things that ultimately don't matter? And we look at the, the, the kind of traditional four temptations. I think this comes from St. Thomas Aquinas, right? There's, there's four things that, there's four temptations that we're, uh, we're tempted to direct ourselves towards. Uh, and when we really look at them, we can see not only, the, not, not just the, the sinfulness of being directed towards these things, but also um, the insubstantiality of building our life around these four things. So it's uh, power, pleasure, honor and wealth, right? And just to like quickly look at a couple of them, if I make my life about pleasure, right? If we're thinking about insubstantiality versus substantiality, right? Concreteness versus being chaff that, blown, that blows away. Uh, pleasure should present itself as the least worthwhile thing for us to live for because pleasure is something that's always passing away even as we're experiencing it, right? I can experience pleasure in this moment, but once this moment's over, the pleasure's gone. I can, I can make my life about eating good food and drinking good drink, 
but literally as I'm eating it, it's going away. So clearly living for pleasure is an empty existence uh, and one whose emptiness I think reveals itself very readily. But even when we start looking at things like power and honor, right? one of the things I know that I've spent much of my life being anxious over uh, is I have worried so much about my name, right? Because I'm not a very big public figure, but I'm still a somewhat public figure. And sometimes it tortures me to know that people I've never even met have opinions about me, right? Uh, I, run, I run the oldest high school in Arizona, and lots of people have opinions about that. Uh, and so there's, there's so much anxiety I've had over the years about what people say about me and what people think about me. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God what people think about me or say about me, right? If you think about the greatest men and women who have ever lived, right, the men who have had the most power, right, men who have ruled nations and empires, right, think about the big ones, think about like uh, Julius Caesar uh, or Augustus Caesar or Charlemagne or Genghis Khan, whatever you want to think, people who have had absolutely the most power that any person in the world has ever had. They have all been dead for hundreds or thousands of years. And for the most part, except for being like a story in our history books, they don't really matter anymore. And if you ever found their bones, their bones would just look just as old and little as anybody else's. You think about the wealthiest people who have ever lived. Someday, and someday soon, right? Our lives are not that long from the perspective of eternity. All of them are going to die. And if they've really, if their life has been about amassing wealth, if that's, if that's really what they lived for, then what is their substantial left of their life when their wealth is taken away from them and given to somebody else? And so what we can see is there's all these different ways where we can make our lives about things that don't matter to God, right? Because God is eternal and God is really big and God is really powerful and God is really rich. And he's not impressed by our amassing of wealth or how famous we make ourselves, or how well people think of us. He's certainly not impressed by how pleasant a life we have. Uh, so Jesus tells us, essentially, spend your life storing up wealth, but the kind of wealth that matters to God. The kind that's going to matter when your life is demanded of you. The kind that's not simply going to be burned away or drift away or decay or be eaten by moths, that's the kind of wealth that you should be building up. So here's where I got stuck last night. Uh, uh, yesterday I had this part of the homily ready. Then I was thinking, what matters to God? I was thinking, I was thinking, so I had a, a, I had a back to school barbecue last night and so I asked some of my students. Uh, they didn't know why I was at, I think they thought it was like a quiz or something, but uh, I said, <laughs> I just said to them, what matters to God? And they got that look that says, all right, the fun's over. I was eating a hot dog, now I'm talking theology. Uh, I got one really good answer. Uh, I don't, it was from the one student I have not yet taught, so I don't know if that, what that should, maybe I'm doing more harm than good, but uh, she's this young woman said, we are what matters to God. I thought, oh, that's a very good answer. It's a very good answer. We are what matters to God because when you look at all the things in the world, all the pleasure that we can enjoy, all the wealth that we can amass, all the power that we can assert over others, right? All of these things will come to an end and from the perspective of even time will mean nothing hundreds of thousands of years from now, not to say from eternity. 
What does last from our lives is me and you. We are what lasts because we believe in the immortality of the soul. We even believe in the resurrection of the body. So at the end of the day, at the end of days, the one thing from our lives that is going to still be around is us. So I think what this leads us to is remembering that we don't want to spend our days externalizing what's valuable in our lives. We don't want to live for these external things which are going to be burned away. We actually want to build up ourselves and build up each other because we are what is of eternal significance. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, but it's us that the Lord intends to populate that new heaven and earth with. And so we really want to focus on what matters to God. And what matters to God is that we become better people, that we become more like him, that we become more substantial, that our souls become more beautiful, that we become more loving, that we become more like him, which means that we lay down our lives in service to one another. Those are the things that matter to God. And we do still have to pay our bills and live in the world and pay our Catholic school tuition. Uh, so we can't, we, can't be totally, uh, we can't be totally unconcerned about the things of the world. But those things should never become what dominates our life. So here's the, here's the practical thing I want to give to you today. Uh, before you go to bed at night, if you spend a few moments examining your day, uh, ask yourself, uh, did I get better today? Have I grown in virtue today? Have I done something that matters today? Did I talk to God today? Am I closer to him today than I was? And the reason I say today is because our whole lives, as short as they are, are just a collection of todays. Right? Um, one last anecdote and then I'll wrap up. Um, I spoke young, once with a young man who had a, kind of a near-death experience. And uh, I asked him, you know, he was a little bit shaken of it, as you can imagine. I asked him, what, uh, what were you thinking at this moment when you thought you were going to die? I was really happy with the answer he gave. He said, uh, I was sad because I didn't have a chance to become the kind of man I wanted to be. Uh, beautiful. That's beautiful, right? He realized that there is some, there's, there's something he wants to be and that he wasn't, really, he wasn't really that person that he wants to be. He hadn't up to this point in his life lived his life in such a way that he was the man he wanted to be. And he was hoping now that he had a second chance to change that and to start becoming that man now. And I think, that's, I think that's really the meaning of the days, this beautiful gift of our life, is that now is the time that we have uh, to spend ourselves trying to become the kind of person that we want to be, but more importantly, the kind of person that God wants us to be.